0: Welcome to Wife on Earth with me, Celia Jesson. On today's show... Wife on earth. Rhubarb, rhubarb. Is Britain's commonest fruit about to have a renaissance? I may as well tell you now the answer's no. And our usual egg whisk review slot. Wife on earth. We chat to a local entrepreneur whose midnight crazy golf empire has proved a very limited success. Wife and our intrepid reporter Jess Chalmsley goes undercover at an antique fair selling fake Goodnight Sweetheart merchandise to yokels. White order.
1: White order.
0: And now it's the part of the podcast where I get in touch with our char, Mrs Coyle, who is, if you'll remember, on a whistle-stop tour of all the world's capital cities. Mrs
1: Coyle's Capital Offences. <laughs>
0: For those wondering how she managed to pay for all this, it certainly wasn't on the wages we give her. No, she struck it lucky on a scratch card, according to Maureen Clack, and rather than sorting out her hair or teeth or updating her wardrobe, she decided to blow the lot on a world tour. Well, ours is not to reason why. Anyway, last time she was in Russia, where unfortunately she happened to make a few off-the-cuff remarks about Mr Putin, whereupon she was arrested as an enemy of the state and kept for four days in a five-foot square cell, which, in her own words, could really do with a dust. So let's turn on the laptop and see what the old bag is up to this week. (laughs) Sorry, I'm joking, of course. Oh no, she can hear me. Hello. 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 Oh oh dear, hello. Hello, Mrs Cole. How are
1: you? Bonjour. C'est bien. Je suis... um... Content.
0: Mrs C, I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and guess you're in Paris this week.
1: We, oui, oui, je suis, um, yeah, yeah, I, I am. Gosh,
0: Mrs C, how romantic. Is it full of handsome gendarmes strolling around in peaked caps, whilst mustachioed coves in Breton shirts swig red wine... Their hairy arms gleaming in the light, reflected from the pipes on the Pompidou Centre. Aye? Is there a bearded artist wearing a smock, painting a picture of the Arc de Triomphe? Aye? Is the air ripe with the scent of mussels, garlic and escargot? It is. Gosh. Do the strains of Jack Braille echo down the narrow streets, barely covering the squeaking hotel bed springs caused by people up to no good with each other's husbands and wives?
1: Aye, they bloody do, which is why I can't get any rest. So I've come out here to Pavement cafe for a carafe a plonk and a croissant.
0: Crikey, Mrs C, why at lunchtime? What would they say at the Toxborough WI?
1: I don't give a monkey's what they'd say. I'm living my best life. Booze, cakes and fellas and trousers walking about the place. Everyone else can go to hell. Gosh, Mrs C, how terribly Gaelic of you. It's positively existentialist.
0: You'll be smoking gullwire and throwing bricks at policemen yet? No, I'm
1: like that. Good Lord, Mrs C. Aye, and before you ask, yes, I did meet a French chap. She's called Marie, she's 74 and she's married to a 22-year-old motorcyclist. I say, well, you certainly have a lot to tell us when you get back. Ah well, maybe I won't be coming back. Maybe I'll stay here and get myself a nice job and a young fella. Good Lord, Mrs. C. Well, who will run the Henry Hoover of the upstairs landing? Not me. Right, I'm off. I met three nice fellows this morning Pierre, Luc, and Henri. They've promised to take me up the Palais Garnier. And after that, they're going to take me up the. Gosh, Mrs. C. knocked her entire carafe of Van Ordinaire
0: on her computer keyboard. I just saw it. We'll talk to her next time, hopefully. <sighs> Perry. Mrs. Claude's capital offences. It's time for our book reviews, the important section of the show. Now, I'm going to be reading Spring Torrents by Turgenev for my book review this week. I must say, I'm enjoying this book so much, it's engrossing. I'm completely embroiled, and I'm really with the main character. In fact, I found myself worrying that the hero might get killed in a duel about a third of the way through the story, even though he's actually the narrator looking back at the start which just goes to show how very much I believe that it was a true story happening in real time. That's how engrossing it was. I wrote down a couple of lines that I I thought particularly lovely. I like this this description very much. Here we are. This is from Spring Torrance by Turgenev. I don't think I'm saying that right, am I? Is it Turgenev? Oh dear, never mind, you know who I mean. He became confused and a bit frightened. It was as if something within him had crashed the ground, like a badly aligned wall. And the next line I like very much, it reminds me of someone I know. He presented the appearance of a condescending tutor who's conferring both upon himself and his charges modest and polite enjoyment. And the person that springs to mind is Mr Sampson who does the woodwork repairs at the village hall who had to host a quiz for the Boy Scouts back in June last year and he really looked like he was barely concealing his angry uh, angry tolerance (laughs) I can't stop thinking about Mrs Coyle being in France. How wonderful. Just imagine being in France. One year ago, as the last place I wanted to go, I couldn't have thought of travelling anywhere at all, really. You see, I like my home comforts and exploring the local area, peeking occasionally for a wedding anniversary day out perhaps at a National Heritage building or a monument like a bench. Now going anywhere at all is appealing, but I really dared not even in between lockdowns. A year or so ago, a WI coach trip to Brighton would have been a, would have been a chore. We'd arrive at Pool Valley and would be released for an hour and a quarter to sightsee and then back in home time for tea. We'd arrive at Pool Valley. Oh gosh, look at all these crowds. The football must be on. Where are you off to since you're in Joan? Up the I-360, of course you are. It's not every day you get a bird's-eye view of a traffic jam, is it? How thrilling. All that activity. Well, uh, I'm in the mood for something French. I'm off to the North Lanes. I think it's called that. I'd better be careful. Last time I asked a local person for directions, he tore me off a strip. Excuse me. Hello. Do you know if there's a, still a French shop in the Lanes? It's not called the Lanes. The Lane? No. The lane spelt with an I. In the middle, as in stains. No. The North Lanes? With an I. Try again. North lanes with no the and an i? Nudder. North lane with an i singular even though it's more than one road? Yeah, well, anyway, the French shop shut down years ago. What? How am I meant to stock up on my little prince key rings and a tin tin toffee tin? Where are the people of Brighton supposed to go when they're short of a wool berry or a poster of Betty Blue? TK Max. I see. If only our coach were carrying on all the way through the Channel Tunnel. Oh well, I'll try the French patisserie up Trafalgar Street for my holiday experience. Hello, can I have that swirl, please? Uh-huh. The whirl one. Mm. Uh-huh. The spinny twirly whirl with the dots on it. Mm. Uh-huh. Not raisins. That, that one. The chalk d- drops. That one. Mm. Uh-huh. I'm pointing at it. «Voulez-vous le petit pois ?»« Oui, s'il vous plaît. Oh, I've never been made to feel so inelegant in my entire life. » French patisserie, if only four-fars Imperial Arcade were still going with their four-inch square parking slices or an apple turnover, the size and colour of a man's flip-flop. Fred can't be doing these twin-twin swirly French things. Oh, come back four-fars. Or should I say quatre-fars and then I'd pay the £3.50 to the angry-looking man, and as I hand my money over, I'd suddenly realise he's the absolute double of heartthrob Alan Dillon in 1965. I'm sorry I got annoyed. It's shows passion. Does it? Yes. Oh, thank you. Let me take you to Paris on the coach for the day. You can point to the Eiffel Tower while we share beget outside the Louvre. Then a beggar would ask us if we dropped a gold ring and you'd say, no, of course not, but I, knowing it was just a ruse, would say, let me buy it for you for one euro and then the penny would drop. Alan, are you about to propose? Yes. But I'm already married. That doesn't matter. I'll be your French husband. Is that allowed? Yes. There had to be something good come out of Brexit. I don't understand. Maybe the French air is getting to me. Try saying that in your native tongue. Il que quelque chose de bon sort de Brexit. everything sounds much better in French, doesn't it? Even sarcastic news. Say something else. voulez un sac pour cela? Ou allez-vous le manger dans la rue? Pardon? Or well, pardon, even? I said, Do you want a bag for that, or are you going to eat it in the street? And suddenly I was back in the cake shop. The man was looking placid, not at all furious and passionate. I was boring him. I'd been so utterly ridiculous. Staring longingly at a beget for God knows how long. So I paid and left and returned home. Fred, would you like half a petit pois and we could pretend Brexit never happened? And then Fred reminds me he prefers a nice plain malted milk and he won't be due until five o'clock to eat that and you'd better rush off now because the cricket's on.
2: Hello and welcome to our weekly literature review with me, Fred Jesson self-confessed woolly article and dole cheat centre-parting Martin... I never confessed to either of those things. Ah, uh, <clears throat> And local odd job man Simon Stebbins, who just happens to be around fixing the birdbath in the garden, which was vandalised by persons unknown. Although, actually, I've got a pretty good idea who was responsible, Mason and Carter Eastwood. And if I ever catch you in my garden, your lives won't be worth living. Oh, well, I'm... By the way, please be assured that we are social distancing. Simon is seated on a garden chair on the other side of the patio door and the door is firmly closed, with the mic running out through the keyhole. Now, I should point out that, unfortunately, since both the library and all the bookshops are closed, and since I refuse to give any more money to Mr Bezos, we've been unable to obtain any new books to review and we've had to fall back on... Well, whatever we could find lying about the house. Simon, you're first, and I believe you're going to review the latest Screwfix catalogue. Yes. Now, I have the catalogue in question here, rather, rather a colourful article. The uh, cover is marked Autumn 2020, is illustrated with a rather attractive picture of a cordless drill, a Dewalt A73126, unless I'm very much mistaken. So, what did you think, Simon? Oh, it was rubbish. Harsh words.
1: Oh, complete quack. i have lost it. I'm a toast station man now. No out of ten.
2: In fact, less than no. Well, that seems definitive. Martin, I believe you've chosen an old copy of the Record Mirror from 1973 that was until recently being used to line your suitcase. Yes, that's correct. It's a banging edition containing a comprehensive look at the works of Canned Heat and an interview with Budgie. A priceless artefact of a time sadly flown. Ten stars. So will you be stopping using it to line your suitcase? I will not. Thank you, Martin. I myself have chosen a paperback copy of How to Be a Wally by Paul Manning, which has been mouldering away in the downstairs Johnson for at least the last 30 years. Whatever happened to Wallie's one used to hear so much of their travails, but they seem to have disappeared. I
1: believe they were superseded by hipsters. Ah,
2: yes. That seems plausible. Anyway, despite some off-colour passages, I was mildly entertained by this book. Six out of ten. Can I read it next? Oh, yeah, me too. Yes, 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 all right. Share some restraint, gentlemen. Share some dignity. Well, that seems to be all for today. So join us next week when we'll be reviewing a Jeffrey Jaffrey cookbook from 1982 the instructions for my hedge clippers and a poison pen letter I received in 2004.
0: And that concludes our book reviews for today. Now it's time for the part of the show where I talk to Dr Willoughby, the rather dreamy psychiatrist who's just moved in round the corner. I know it must seem silly, a person like me seeing a therapist. After all, I'm just an ordinary woman, not a Kardashian or anything. It's been very illuminating, actually. For example, I now understand perfectly why I'm afraid of grandfather clocks. Also, the colour scheme in his office has given me a marvellous idea for the drawing room.
3: Good morning, Celia.
0: Hello, Dr Willoughby. I hope you don't mind, but I took the liberty of baking you some scones. Here they are, still warm from the oven. It's just that last week I noticed you were looking so thin, and I was worried you weren't eating properly.
3: Thank you, Celia. That's very thoughtful of you. But I've told you before, please call me James. Gosh,
0: you know, I've always liked the name James. It's manly without being plain, if you see what I mean. I say, is that a new jumper you're wearing? It's Aaron, isn't it? It makes you look quite the fisherman, or perhaps the shepherd. I can imagine you trudging down a mountainside in a snowstorm, a newborn lamb in your arms, or perhaps shearing a brace of rams with your strong hands, while a contract from Marks and Spencer's knitwear lies safe in your pocket.
3: Tell me Celia, have you heard of a concept called transference?
0: Gosh, no, I don't think so. Is it something to do with transfers? Billy used to like transfers when he was little. He once put an incredible hulk one on his doodah and we all thought he had gangrene.
3: No, nothing to do with that transference is when a patient sublimates his or her craving for affection or romantic attention by transferring it to another person often it's an authority figure like a boss or a police officer or a psychiatrist but it can be anyone a tradesman even
0: gosh how extraordinary i can't even imagine anything like that
3: (laughs) remarkable level of denial
0: sorry james did you say something
3: Now, Celia, the last time we spoke, you'd just met your husband, Fred, and begun a courtship.
0: Yes, that's right. It was a whirlwind romance. He used to take me on day trips in his Morris Minor to local places of historical interest, and we were forever off on Conservative Club shindigs. Then, just before Christmas, he proposed.
3: Ah, so that happened quite quickly, in three, four months. Did you ever feel you were being pressured into it?
0: No, not at all. Though he did say we had to get spliced before they bought in decimalisation for tax purposes.
3: And was it a romantic proposal?
0: It was in Runcorn Bird Sanctuary. Fred had taken us there because they had the only pied flycatcher in captivity. He got down on one knee but lost his balance and fell sideways into some feed. He said, will you marry me? I said, yes. And then a man in a peaked cap came over and told us to keep the noise down because some plovers were trying to mate.
3: I must ask... Does Fred approve of you seeing me as a patient?
0: No. Fred doesn't believe in psychiatry. In fact, he had quite a lot to say on the subject last night. I noted it down in shorthand because I thought you might like to hear it. Filthy excrescences of the depraved mind, etc, etc. Bloody Nancy boys with Toy Town University degrees, etc, etc. Last days of Rome, etc, etc. Here we are. The day that I let any blasted head-shrinker, that's you, and his so-called Freudian symbols anywhere near me is the day I put a large shotgun in my mouth and pulled the trigger good and hard. Right. Oh, you're making notes again.
3: So you were married the following year?
0: Yes, in April. It was a lovely ceremony, except Fred tore his trousers, getting out of the car and had to do the whole thing, standing behind the giant thermometer that showed the progress of funds towards the church roof.
3: Now, last week I believe you told me you'd saved up money, that you wanted to see the world. Was that what you did for your honeymoon?
0: No, we didn't have a honeymoon. Fred said it made much more sense to put a deposit down on a house in Rosehip Close, and he was right. And I spent my savings on a new three-piece suite.
3: Rosehip Close. That's where you're still living now?
0: That's right. Forty years will have been there next June.
3: And how did you find married life?
0: Well, I'd imagine I'd go back to work, but... Fred had just got a promotion at the refinery and said I didn't need to. Of course, soon after that, Katie was born, and after her, Billy. So for the next years, I was preoccupied with them.
3: So you never felt that something was missing?
0: Missing? Whatever do you mean? Oh, my slow cooker went missing one day, but it turned out that Fred had taken it into the basement to make a hot spring for his scale model of the Trans-Siberian Railway.
3: OK, Celia. I think we'll leave it there for this week.
0: Thank you, Dr Willoughby. I mean, James. Thank you.
2: Hello. Fred here again with the latest instalment of my lockdown diary. I'm recording this in the back garden as apparently my banjalele strumming in the bedroom was distracting the woolly article Centre Parting Martin from his Tai Chi... "'Heaven forfend that a man should be able to strum away at his instrument "'in the privacy of his own room without fearing that he's bothering "'whatever beatnik freeloaders may be congregating in his house. "'Anyway, thankfully, it's a quite pleasant day, "'so this shouldn't be too much of a hardship. "'I'm glad to say that the garden is looking rather splendid, "'the fruits of my lockdown labours. "'The nasturtiums are flourishing, uh, the herbaceous borders are tidy.' And the novelty gnomes dressed as the great heroes of the Second World War, Churchill, Montgomery, Bomber, Harris, etc., bought as a birthday present for me by Celia some years ago, are gleaming. Although Douglas Bader has endured a good deal of weathering and looks very much the worse for wear. But then again, so did the real Douglas Bader. Things continue very much as normal under lockdown here at Jesson Tower's although the question of what normal means in the current climate is a vexed one. Celia appears to be behaving in a slightly peculiar manner and seems to often bristle at the most commonplace remark. Well, Last night at supper, when she handed over my boiling bag fish and I made my traditional piece of cod that passeth all understanding remark, she gave me a look that can only be described as murderous. Could it be that being together 24 hours a day after thirty-seven and a half years of marriage, my charms are beginning to pall on her? I find this difficult to believe, but she'll have to investigate further. The aforementioned woolly article, Centre Parting Martin, continues to occupy what was once Katie's room and is now the spare room. He has been providing a low-level irritation for getting on for two months now, playing rock music on his ghetto blaster, stinking out the kitchen with his organic vegetarian cooking and periodically blocking the toilet, and I'm fairly sure he's been smoking wacky-backy on the front porch. All these annoyances, though, pale into insignificance before the behaviour of my son, Will, as he insists on being called, who continues to occupy his old room, Will is still attempting to launch a career as a YouTube celebrity, even though his YouTube channel, on which he provides a running commentary while playing the video game Troll Splat, has only seven subscribers. He has been banished to the laundry room while recording these episodes, yet his hooting laugh still echoes up the stairs, disturbing mine and Celia's sleep. All in all, I'm beginning to think that Abraham had the right idea. Uh, That's a biblical reference for those out there who have not been rendered entirely non-thinking by the relentless dumbing down of our culture. As for myself, I continue to take refuge in my hobbies. I've recently completed an airfix model of a Panavia Tornado, F3, and, of course, I continue to practice my ukulele. I believe my playing has come on quite substantially in recent weeks, and I'm now able to tackle relatively complex tunes such as Great Things by Echo Belly. Well, I'd better get back to my practice. Thank you for listening. What was that? Is that you, Carter Eastwood? I'll thank you to keep a civil tongue in your head. I am not a big bender. And please, get down from behind my fence. You are damaging the (sighs) creosoting. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.
0: You have been listening to Wife on Earth, written and performed by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. The cast are Ben Crompton, Julia Cloughley-Sneddon, George Egg, John Griffin, Al Kerr, Paul McLean, Heather Miner and Joanna Neary. With original music written and performed by Heather Miner and by Paul McLean. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network. Thank you for listening.